Hey fam, welcome to Ceremony Circle Podcast. I am your host, shaman and author, Allison Charles. How are you today? I sincerely hope your heart is feeling bright and well. And if not, or if you sense that your heart can expand even more into your divine truth, let's take a quick moment right now. I'd like to send some divine transmissions into your beautiful heart. If you're not feeling that, if you're not feeling open to receive, just fast forward through this part. If this resonates, close your eyes for a moment now. Begin to direct your breath into your heart center and the center of your chest and just feel, trust, and receive for a few seconds now. few more deep breaths into that newly expanded heart of yours. Connect to the bottoms of your feet where those beautiful portal foot chakras are. Connect to the center line of your being. And I'm going to continue now while you stay in these vibes. All right, now that we're centered in that medicine, I want to welcome you to today's episode with author and meme artist, James McRae. Now, if you haven't already scooped up James's new book, How to Laugh in Ironic Amusement During Your Existential Crisis, you've probably seen his memes on Instagram as they spread like wildfire daily. And his new book is the world's first meme book, and I love it. So today we dive into what is a meme? How did he get called into the world of making spiritual and consciousness memes for a living? Hint. It may have involved a ceremonial use of cannabis in a Terrence McKenna documentary. And I just love this episode, and so I'll make this part quick, but just a few of the many magical spaces we traverse today are how to tap into or expand your creativity. James shares his personal creative processes and tips for you, how he keeps his divine channel clear, his path to consciousness and spirituality. Like me, he also has a long history of living in New York City and Los Angeles, but had awakenings along the way that took him on a new path. And because there's so much deep wisdom and humor in his book, I take you to some of my favorite quotes, poems, and parts of it so we can hear straight from James today where those downloads came from, and you can hear him elaborate on things like how to clean your subconscious closet. How our sacred ceremony somehow shifted to cigarette circles outside of bars for whiskeys deep. Trusting in the great mystery. Why gentleness is so important and much more. Oh, oh, oh. And for the closing ceremony at the end of today's episode, James shares two never heard before poems that rocked my world and heart. 
honestly two of the best poems I have ever heard. So medicinal, lean in fully to those if you can. So let's enter into a spiritual playland, but don't be fooled. There is super potent and deep wisdom to be gained with author and meme poet, James McRae. All right, here we are. Here we are. Yay. I'm so happy that I've been able to connect with you since we both used to be New Yorkers and now we're in Texas and I've just been so grateful to get to know you lately. Likewise. Yeah, we've had a bit of a similar journey and yeah. now here we are together. Yeah, and here we are in the studio with both of our books sitting here too. I love that they're being released at similar times, yet very different books. I really want to focus today. I mean, we're, we'll cover some different different grounds and territories. Once we traverse some of those lands, I want to land specifically on the book. And I actually want to go to certain passageways in the book and just have you, when I read things that spoke to me, I just want you to tell me what comes up for you because this book is so unique. Yeah, sounds fun. That sounds great. I mean, the title, How to Laugh, an Ironic Amusement During Your Existential Crisis by James McRae. Yeah. I always thought it was funny to have like a really long book title. <laughs> yeah. It's almost annoyingly long. <laughs> yeah. It's like a whole sentence. It's great. And the funny thing was, and of course, because it aligns with it, exactly what this title is, the day this book arrived to my home and I opened the box and as I was opening it, I was like, if it is James's book, I'm just going to shit because of what I was going through that day. I was literally in the midst of some true like existential crisis initiatory fires. And sure enough, I opened the box and it's this book and I'm looking at the book title and laughing in ironic amusement. I'm like, you cannot make stuff like this up. And I want to just start, I think there, because one of the main things that has stood out to me in observance of you and your work is you seem to be so so dialed into like the timing of things. Mm. What's up with that? I'm mm. fascinated when I watch that with you. Mm. Mm. What I think of when I hear that is how the universe is quite fractal by nature because I don't think a lot about timing. When I'm working on things and putting things out, I'm really kind of tuning in to see where I'm at. So my creative process is very much sitting down in the morning and opening up my own kind of channel of intuition and seeing what comes through. And I'm kind of asking myself, like, what am I dealing with? Like, what is the universe trying to show me right now? Like, what comes through organically without me trying to force it? And it's funny when I do that because so many times I'll post something on Instagram that I just thought of that morning and I'll have a bunch of people saying like, I needed this right now. So I often think like we're not as disconnected from the universe as we sometimes think we are. I think that we are all kind of somewhat tuned into the same frequency, the same system. And when we trust our own instincts, we're actually kind of tapping into some kind of a source intelligence that we're all connected to. So even if someone doesn't have the exact same experiences, they'll still find some relatability in it yes. because it's coming from a place of true 
truth and authenticity. Yeah, my body just twitched a little bit for some reason that. Yeah, I've I've loved to watch that. And I would also be curious to hear, you just said, you know, in the mornings you, you know, open up your connection to divine or however you said that. The way that I do that is actually quite simple and people are like, oh, that's all you do. And I'm like, yeah, a lot of doing the spiritual work doesn't have to be so complex, but what does that practice look like for you? Do you have an altar or like what's going on? I have a bit of an altar. I guess I'm a spiritual person as far as that term is is used and thrown around. I am in a fairly casual way. I mean, I do have a long history of meditation and I studied Kundalini yoga. I studied Buddhism. I have a lot of different kind of systems that I've kind of tapped into to kind of cultivate my own presence. Yeah. So I do, I do meditate each morning. And, but so for me, the creative process is a type of spiritual ritual kind of unto itself. And it just involves essentially like an open notebook and an open mind. And I just try to tune in and see what I'm feeling and see what kind of ideas come through. And then I've also been an artist and a writer for a long enough time where I've developed different techniques because it's one thing to tune into an idea and get that spark of intuition. But then as an artist, you need to be able to execute it and put it out into the world. And that requires really a lot of practice. So, I mean, I went to art school. I've been writing poetry since I was 13, 14. So I've honed different techniques and styles. So when I do get that spark of intuition, then I can kind of choose what I do with it. And it's like, oh, this might want to be a drawing. This might want to be a meme. This might want to be a poem. And I can kind of tap into all these different artistic systems Uh that I've developed over the years just to see how I want to shape the message. That's cool. So as the insight or idea is crystallizing and you're honing in on a concept or a thought, it seems like you're then tapped into a pretty clear system of knowing, oh, this is for sure a meme. Or would you say that the vast majority of time, the medium that you think that idea should go into, you're pretty, pretty correct with it? Or have there been times where you started to paint it and you're like, actually, no, I think this is supposed to be a poem and you change course or it's turned into different forms? Yeah, it could be different things. It could be a big enough idea where I can execute it into multiple formats. It's like, oh, I get in a spark of inspiration about what a post-apocalyptic world in a good way might look like. And then I can like maybe write a poem about that and then also take that same concept and turn it into a meme. I often feel like creativity is a collaboration or a co-creation with spirit. And everyone has a different definition of what quote unquote spirit is. Some people say, oh, it's my higher self. It's like, oh, it's God. It's the Pleiadians. You know, everyone has a different kind of system that what they interpret that spirit. And as an artist, I just think it's all an aspect of your own intuition. And creativity, I think, is a, is a collaboration with that spirit, with that intuition, where the message comes through. And then you, as an artist, as a human, fingers and hands and the ability to create things kind of takes that idea and then crafts it into physical form. Mm. Very much a collaboration. This This is good. And I I like that we're kind of sitting in this zone a little bit because I'm realizing as we're talking, this could be really helpful to listeners because I think a lot of people, especially those who appreciate a connection to the divine or spirit, whatever we're, like you said, we're calling it, and maybe they want to activate or get stronger with the ability to actually bring something into fruition or into a tangible 
existence and form, and yet they get kind of stopped at that place that we're talking about of like, oh, I just had this really cool idea come to me, but then they're not able to take that next step. And I know that you offer like courses on creativity and I mean, we could tell them to explore that, but do you have any tips right now to get them out of that stop place and to try to actualize a form of creativity? Yeah, absolutely. People get stuck in different areas, okay. right? So some people, you know, we live in a very productive society cranking it out. that tends to want to crank things out. And some people are comfortable cranking things out, but they don't have that, that stillness, that meditation practice, that spiritual foundation that helps them align their productivity with a deeper purpose. And they're not tuned into that intuition and that imagination enough. And for people like that, they need to maybe practice meditation, get into a spiritual zone, learn how to open your channel up for your own intuition. Other people might get stuck on the other side. They might be very comfortable tuning into their own imagination, tuning into their intuition, but they have a hard time executing it into manifest form. And for that, you know, there's all kinds of techniques just to get, you just want to get comfortable writing, comfortable making art. So just, just do it, you know, just start drawing every morning, start, start writing every morning and don't worry about whether or not it's good. Just get comfortable moving the pen with your hand, get comfortable typing the keys with your fingers until it needs to kind of be a natural rhythm where it becomes second nature. And that just takes practice. And you don't have to be good at first. You just need to get used to doing it. The more reps you get in practicing making art, you'll find your own style. And it doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to look like someone else's work. My drawings are very rudimentary and a little bit childish. And that's just what I do. And it works for me. So don't worry too much about how pretty or polished your poetry is your art is just find a style that works for you. And, mm -hmm. you know, that does take some time. Yeah. Yeah. The feeling I'm getting when I'm listening to you is just keep allowing that life force to keep having movement and it will then allow to keep informing you and through that ability to be vulnerable or yeah, to keep the energetic current going, you never know because I mean, was it surprising to you when all of a sudden, you know, you being this meme master, like, cause like you said, you have this really strong artistic and creative background that you've used in very high level professional ways and, and big industries and big cities. But yet I'm so curious to know when that light bulb went off, when you were like, holy shit, I'm really pretty genius at making memes. Cause that's a specific thing. Yeah, that was unexpected. I'll, I will admit. And it really only happened about a year ago. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm flabbergasted. I didn't know this. Yeah. I thought you'd been doing memes forever. No, prior to a year ago, I was doing little pieces of writing online and some illustrations. And the illustrations might have a meme sense to them because they were like little drawings with funny captions. So they were like proto memes a little bit. And maybe I like did one or two memes previously. So I kind of knew what they were, but I didn't really until 2020 around the time of the, the world turning upside down. <laughs> and what happened was I was really looking for a way to express the absurdity of the world we were living in because there were a lot of opinions in the world about the pandemic and a lot of really stubborn opinions about what was happening and whether that's stubborn in the sense of mainstream media saying it's one thing, whether it's stubborn in a conspiracy theory sense saying it's another thing. And there was just a, a lot of things happen was happening. And I didn't really think that anyone was quite getting it right because there's so many sides to every story. 
And it's a very nuanced issue and it's a very nuanced time. And to stand up and make a lecture about your opinion, I thought there was enough of that in the world. I wanted to look for ways where I could tell multiple stories at once. And then in doing so, <laughs> you're kind of expressing the absurdity of it all. Yes. And the absurdity of life itself, mm. especially in these crazy times. Right. Yeah. Because any type of awakening, you know, whether it's on a micro or macro level, it's just the wildest experience and ride. And one of the realizations I had very early on when all of this was happening, Luke and I were still living in LA and I remember sitting upstairs in front of the altar and I was just talking to mother earth and she just so simply reminded me, it was something to the effect of, well, Allison, you knew that you were going to be here during this time of great awakening. And like, that's all she had to say. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's what's starting to unfold and open up here. I just didn't anticipate it taking this shape or form. And then I instantly got track to when I had my own individual personal divine intervention and spiritual awakening moment and what those initial like days and weeks, fractal reformations and just like all in the discombobulation and me feeling like I and my life at the time got turned upside down and some of the functionality of my awakening on the micro level, I thought, oh, like why would I expect if the entire planet and all of humanity is going through awakening, why would I expect it to take on? a different form than what I experienced. And it all is just so bizarre and wild and miraculous and beautiful. It's the allness. It's the totality. Yeah. yeah. I see it as being a universal dark night of the soul. Yeah. And if the people in the world who have already gone through their own dark nights of the soul kind of know the territory a little bit more and maybe are a little more prepared to kind of live in the world that we live in today. But a lot of people who have been living more, I don't know, shallow or sheltered life and not having gone through a some kind of a personal initiation through a dark night or an existential crisis. This time that we're living in is hitting us all very hard and they're having the hardest time going through this. And I'm ultimately hopeful because having gone through dark nights of the soul myself, I do know that when you emerge from that, it's always a, a new day, a new beginning, a fresh start that much better than where you were before. So it's a bit of an initiation, I feel, for and by all bit, of us. you mean, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's so true. If, yeah, if we can just find, and I'm not saying it's easy because as many initiatory rodeos as I've been on, I still in the last couple of years have been taken into some really challenging um, territories and initiations myself. But because I've ridden enough of these rodeos, I know that if I can just, even on the days where I just might not want to get out from under the covers because the feelings are just so raw or uncomfortable or whatever's going on, I know that if I can just trust enough and just hold the line enough that, like you said, on the other side of this is something so far beyond what our human mind can comprehend, even when it feels like there's so much deconstruction. What occurred to me yesterday, actually, it's coming in right now, Luke and I we're in this temporary apartment because the whole year we've been in Texas, we've been renovating our home. So we've got this massive deconstruction down to the studs, down to the concrete of our actual home and renovating and for a year, just nonstop noise and machines and banging and tearing down and installing and all this stuff. And then in our temporary apartment, I kid you not, for the last two or three months, the apartment below us, they're renovating it and nonstop banging and clanging and noises. And I 
I thought, oh my God, like what is going on? Like this noise pollution and just this theme. And finally, when I was in this healing bath yesterday and I could hear it below me, and I thought, oh my God, even when I'm trying to bath, take a healing bath, you know, there's still this noise. And then I just realized this is that noise and the sawing and the hammering that happens as you're on the process of great growth and transformation and birthing into a new home, a new chapter. And it sometimes can bring with it a lot of noise and a lot of like flinching and whatever. But I just had to laugh and that helped me reframe perspective of like, this is just it showing in the earthly form what I'm going through in my inside and Luke as well, we're both just transforming our, our lives so much. And yeah, so it helped me get a little more comfortable. I don't know why I got on that tangent. Is anything coming up for you when I'm saying Yeah, that? yeah. And I think that's a lot of people because of the all the noise that's happening. Yeah, there's so much noise out there. A lot of people are going deep into rest and self-care as just kind of like, okay, we're going through a lot of turbulence. Let's just take care of ourselves, take care of our bodies, take care of the nervous system and just chill. Just be kind to ourselves and be kind to our bodies. And I think that's one thing we're being kind of asked to do. And another thing that I think it gives us an opportunity to do is to transmute the chaos into art and expression. And that's kind of what I've done is, you know, I love the idea of art transmuting pain into love and how can we take the craziness and make something beautiful out of it as an artist you know how can we reflect the times that we're living in and how can we use this to amplify our own authenticity and a lot of people have just been going through the fires of change and transformation and you know, I have a lot of friends who have just been going through a lot of a very challenging year but in doing so I've seen them just really burn away everything that wasn't true and then allowing them to show up in the world from a place of just truth and authenticity. And I think that's largely the role of art. With my book, what I really wanted to do is make a belt like it was felt like you're living in these times. Because a lot of art, like television shows that are coming out, movies that are coming out, music and books, I don't feel like anyone's truly addressing the world that we live in, in all of its complexity and chaos and confusion and uncertainty. Because do you think that they're going to one of those sides or the other? Yes, or just ignoring it entirely. Okay, got it. And saying everything's, let's just pretend like nothing's happening and just like make some songs that sound good. Okay. But I'm interested in art that reflects the time. And I, for some reason, memes and poetry were what <laughs> I love it. Was, was the language yeah. that was best suited to communicate the absurdity of it all. Yeah. So I, I'm familiar with your work and memes, but I think it can be a newer art form to some people. So if you can just break it down and explain what a meme is, because there's probably some people that have seen one or maybe even seen one of yours and they're not realizing what they saw. Sure. So I'll start at the beginning and the term meme was actually coined in 1976 by a social scientist named Richard Dawkins. Okay. He's kind of a famous atheist in a way, the scientific biologist mm. that looks at everything in a very reductionist way. Is he still alive? He is. He's a little bit older, but... Have you ever talked to him? No. He's very smart. I mean, he's IQ level quite high, uh -huh. but I'm sure there's a lot we wouldn't see eye to eye in, but I do like his philosophy of memes. And what that was, he equated the meme as being the equivalent of a gene to biology. So if there's a biological system and there's a gene and a gene can 
can adapt and essentially change the biological system through adaptation. And a meme is the same concept to the world of culture and ideas. So it's been defined as the smallest unit of an idea. So I'm going back to like the philosophy of memes. So essentially, it's a tiny seed of an idea that can get planted in a culture that can spread. So I say like the idea of Christianity is a hugely successful meme. Now, I'm not taking away from the religious aspects of it. At one point, thousands of years ago, an idea dropped in the Middle East about Christianity. And there was no internet, there was no mass media, but through word of mouth, through letters, through stories, and a parable is a good way to, to spread a meme because it takes a concept and puts it into a story form, which is easy to replicate through stories. So over thousands of years, the meme of Christianity spread and spread and spread until essentially it overtook the, the biological system, so to speak, to become the new kind of idea. So that's kind of an example of what a meme is. Another meme could be like, oh, look, go back to the 1960s and, you know, there was the Vietnam War and people wanted to spread ideas of peace and love as opposed to ideas of war and hate and violence. So someone could come up with a, with, with a, a phrase like, make love, not war. Well, make love, not war is a meme because it takes an idea and it plants it in the culture so it can spread and have an influence. So it's really any viral idea is a meme. But then with the invention of the internet, it took on new meaning because with an internet, you could spread things and things could go viral so much faster. So internet memes became kind of their own category that were that was born from this old philosophy of memetics or memes and with the internet memes that that's largely come to mean any kind of image with text over it and there's some kind of an interplay with the image and the text and very often there'll be an image that gets replicated into a number of different memes and these become known as almost like a meme template and various meme artists many of whom are anonymous you know create their own spin on this meme and they often go viral on reddit or twitter or 4chan or these like dark corners of the internet and then lately you've been seeing like instagram and facebook and more popular mainstream social networks take the idea of memes and just blowing it yes, up yes yes yeah so okay i a lot is coming in as your so i've kind of trying to take the idea of memes which aren't traditionally a let's say a highbrow form of art they're often an internet meme is often silly and like people might remember like lol cats or like early memes that were just like a cat picture with like kind of a stupid caption and it was funny because it was weird and people would share it but there wasn't like a deeper philosophy to the meme so what i've tried to do is take the meme format and apply deeper spiritual messages or philosophical perspectives to the meme format and there's other meme artists who are kind of doing the same right now it's seems to be a bit of a trend that's picked up over the past year. Uh-huh. And okay, so yeah, and Luke loves memes. He shares them quite frequently. I'm sure he's probably shared uh, some of yours and his stories. And one that he shared yesterday was like a meme saying, 
daddy, what did you do during the time of like the global awakening or pandemic? And he was like, you know, spread spiritual memes or like, what, how are you most of service during that time? And the meme was talking about like spiritual memes. And uh, I'm curious, does it matter to you? Like if you get credit, like if you're creating these memes and then they get shared and your handle isn't on the actual meme, like, like you said, they, they can go viral so quickly and get spread and shared so fast. Does that matter? They know that you made it? Traditionally, memes have been anonymous. Okay. And it's really weird because you'll have these hugely successful meme templates that no one takes credit for. Even like some of the cartoons that are used for many, 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 many memes, the artists are completely anonymous. And it's very interesting. I've got some theories about where these are coming from, but no one really quite knows. So for the longest time, I wasn't putting a, you know, a watermark on my memes. But then I've started to because so many of my memes have been spread by very, very large accounts. And then those accounts end up getting credit. And, and credit is like, does credit matter? Well, if you're an artist or a writer, you know, the main purpose is to get your work out there. I would much rather have one of my memes go viral without getting credit than not go viral at all, right? Because the point is to get the message out there. But also just as an artist and as an author, I think it's fair to at least put your name on your work so you know where it's coming from. So it's like credit, it's not the most important thing, but I think it's pretty common now for the people that are working in the meme genre to to put a watermark on, on their yeah. memes. I've started to do that recently. That's cool. I mean, yeah. I personally think, it, yeah, if I had gotten, you know, a divine download or a cool insight and put time and effort and energy into bringing that into physical creative form and spending the time getting it posted. And then I saw someone sharing the meme and then putting at some other account that they had seen it from, but yeah. yet it was my work. I don't think I would like that. It happens all the time. Oh God. It happens all the time. I would really have to put in some work to get Accounts with millions of followers will just post my meme with no credit. Oh so. man. <laughs> well, I'm just going to say like, if any of them are listening whenever possible, let that make sure we do proper attributing. Okay, so is there, because your memes, I don't know if you like me saying that they're spiritual memes, but they have these like deeper concepts woven into them. And so if that's the case, is there a foundational intention that you have? I mean, because as far as I understand, you're like the first official meme book, right? And so, you know, like you're creating, you're paving a pathway, you're creating a real true foundation here. So is it the intention that like it just might open people's hearts or minds? Like, is there an underlying intention? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, not specifically, but I think that my own perspective has been influenced by so many different traditions and from Buddhism to, you know, the indigenous American cultures. And one thing about memes is that they do, a lot of memes tend to be, they're sarcastic, they're subversive, they can be offensive. That's kind of the nature of the art form and the internet in general is to be offensive, be subversive, be edgy, provocative. So I do my best to stay true to that because that's what people like about memes is they say things you're not supposed to say a lot of the time. So that's why memes are popular. But I also am very careful with how I phrase things and how I express things because I always want to stay true to those foundations of compassion and empathy and love and open-heartedness, right? So it's a balance. How can you be provocative and edgy mm. while still exhibiting? 
exhibiting compassion mm-hmm. and empathy. Mm-hmm. So that's the mm-hmm. balance uh, that I yeah. try to strike. Well, just hearing that from you, I... <laughs> I get that on a very deep level and it gives me a broader certain understanding and compassion for the work that you do because in my own way that's pretty much nails down like how my work and my pathway is it can be very provocative and triggering and medicinal. I'm a medicine woman and not all people can enjoy the medicine that I'm told to transmit. Yet I know my purity and I know my heart and I know I'm aligned with divine and I live by the calls and instructions I'm given. And as long as I'm there, I'm good. And if the medicine is triggering, you know, yeah, very compassionate to how it might have entered that person and why it got a bit sparky inside of them and to lead them on their own process or whatever. But yeah, it's such a dance. And this for me, this is the overlap of poetry and memes too, because I have posted things in the past that certain people found offensive for whatever reason. Could be something over here, something over there, something I was too far left politically, I was too far right politically, whatever it was. I've triggered different factions, right? So, and sometimes that's okay. Like you said, sometimes you want to poke and provoke and trigger with love to help people see another perspective and that's fine, but you also don't want to just make people mad necessarily. Mm -hmm. Necessarily. So it's really made me careful. My handle is words are vibrations. Mm. And I think that's very much true. So having been a poet for many years, poetry is an art of using language to express a deeper truth. Very little poetry is polarizing. Even if it's saying something that's mm, a, that, that's true. Even if it's saying something that's revolutionary. Why is that? Because words are vibrations, and poets are in many. I never many, thought about in that. In many ways, poets are the shamans of language because they have to take a concept and express it in a way that is healing. Right. And, and how can you deal with all the problems in the world in a way that is healing and expresses the shared truth that goes beyond the polarity? That's kind of what poetry does. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is apply that same artful use of language that I've been doing in poetry for years to memes. Wow. And sometimes I still will make silly jokes or whatever. That's kind of my intention is to elevate memes by integrating the perspective of poetry. Wow. What an art form. Goodness. (laughs) I mean, I'm really seeing into the subtle energetics and all the layers of your work that I hadn't really thought about before. Yeah. And they're also just memes that are fun to share and look at and you can read a lot into them and you can also just enjoy them for what they are. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sure people listening are like, I want to hear specific (laughs) things from the book. So we're going to get there. I just have two questions before that. For some reason, I'm just curious what your parents think of the fact that like you're a meme author and that are they, were they surprised or they're just like, oh, we could have told, seen this coming from childhood when you used to say such and such, like, did it surprise them in any way? Well, they're very supportive and they've always been supportive of my artistic path. I dropped out of college because I wanted to be an artist and I had stacks of notebooks of poetry in my house when I was a teenager. So they were always supportive of my path as an artist and it's been very incremental, you know, before I made any memes, I had already published a book with Hay House. What was that one on? It was called Shit Your Ego Says. Oh, right. That's right. So it's kind of like a autobiographical self-help book about like the relationship between like the ego and the intuition and how to kind of navigate the differences between them. 
So it was kind of like there was a lot of little steps along the way. And that's part of the what I was saying with the pandemic and people just shedding their old skin to become more authentic. That prior to that time, you know, I had been a bit of a self-help writer and I was kind of more known for that. But deep down, I was an artist and I wanted to be more like write poetry and make art. And I kind of had to shed that old identity of like being a Hay House author and this and that in order to kind of just go back to the beginning and find my own artistic center. And it just happened to be through poetry and memes, but that was kind of me returning back to myself a bit. Oh, I love that. I did not know that. Hey, Soul Fam, it's time for today's little microdose where I share about the ancient healing wisdom and power of flowers. I truly believe that flowers unleash our full potential. They're the antenna of Mother Earth. And Lotus Way is a line of flower essence elixirs you take underneath your tongue. They also have aura mists, anointing oils, bath salts, so much more, all created by a master flower alchemist. She enables us to work with different flowers to heal or empower different aspects of our lives. And they even have flower elixirs for pets. Yes. Now, by tapping into these incredible elixirs and we have these methods at our fingertips that allows us to be our happiest, clearest, brightest, most loving selves, all things that you know I am all about. So when you go to lotusway.com, be sure to use the code MYSTIC at checkout. That's all capital letters, M-Y-S-T-I-C, code MYSTIC at checkout, and you will get yourself a Ceremony Circle Podcast Soul Fam discount at lotusway.com. Okay. And then this might feel like a sharp, unexpected turn, but I want to get this in since this is called Ceremony Circle. I'd be curious what you're open to sharing when it comes to practices or ceremonies that you have immersed yourself in for consciousness expansion or healing, whatever your objective might be. I think I saw one Instagram post you shared somewhat recently that you had um, sat in a combo ceremony and yeah, just a bit of a ceremonial chat if you're open to talking about one that really changed your life or what recent one, whatever you want to share about. Mm, mm. Yeah, the idea of ceremony and ritual, I think is is so important and it's something that I've really been introduced to in recent years and whether that's through going through a kundalini yoga teacher training program and all the different rituals and ceremonies involved in that or sitting with plant medicine in Peru with you know shamans in the Amazon there's some type of rite of passage or initiation that you go through through the ritual of ceremony that is hugely expansive so you know i would say sitting with ayahuasca in particular has been very useful for my own perspective and outlook. And the reason I think that is, is because plant medicines will show you a quantum shift in consciousness. You can't keep that shift necessarily, but it'll give you a glimpse of it. So you can understand what a quantum shift in reality might look like. And I think that 
we're going to a place where the world is requiring a, a quantum shift in our collective consciousness. So, you know, I think that plant medicine just gives you a glimpse of that possibility. Not to say that it's, it's the answer that everyone should go and do psychedelics, but it does help prepare the framework for change and huge change at a big level. So seeing that shift in my own consciousness, I think has helped me be more prepared to play a role in the shifting of global consciousness, which I think is going to be required, you know, moving forward for just the continued growth and evolution of humanity. Mm -hmm. Two questions with that. One, if you are open to sharing how that call of grandmother medicine came in for you, because I get that question asked a lot, like, how do you know if you're being called? Because I talk all the time about, it's my personal belief that one should only enter into these kinds of ceremonies if you're really being called by the medicine. It's not just a a decision of the mind or because your friends are doing it and things like that. And then the next question is, well, how do you know if you're being called? So I'm curious if there's an example you could share there, how you just tapped into that knowingness that you were being led to that ceremony. And then two, do memes come to you in plant medicine ceremonies? Like, have you ever had a creative insight drop in in a ceremony and you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> turn that into a meme? <laughs> well, I'll answer the first question first, which is how I was called. You know, I think that I never knew what these were growing up. I'm from a small town in Minnesota that wasn't around us. So I wasn't exposed to that until my 30s. And it started just by me learning about it. And I'd never done plant medicine. I'd never done psychedelics. Do you remember how you started to learn about it, though? I think initially podcasts was how I heard about ayahuasca. Okay. I had been familiar with things like LSD just from, you know, being, being a fan of music in the 60s. Mm. It's like that's part of the story, right? But I think just hearing about it on podcasts, people like maybe Graham Hancock was an early influence in terms of someone who was kind of explaining the territory. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of a light bulb went off, like, oh, this is something that sounds interesting. And then I heard someone also say, like, you know, if, if you think this is for you, it'll find you. Like, you know, don't go start knocking on doors and being like, do you have any ayahuasca? Like, I'm looking for ayahuasca. Like, I didn't go looking for it. I just sat with it, just saying, like, maybe that's something that eventually I could participate in. Just like present with the resonance. Yeah. Just be like, yeah, maybe one day if that's for me, it'll come to me. And yeah, then one day it did. I just got an invitation and it was like this really synchronistic invitation where it's like, it was really random that this was popping up now at this moment with this person. And it just was an invitation into trying it. And there had probably been like six years between hearing about it mm -hmm. and planting that seed yep. until finally doing it Yes, and trusting that timing that it's the right time to do it. So that's what I would say is don't rush out to find it as soon as possible. Just sit in that resonance and let it find you yeah. is what I would say. And it's been a little while since I've done any plant medicine ceremonies. So I actually haven't really done any since I've been making memes. Mm, so mm, I see like I've had a lot of big ideas and breakthroughs. So certain medicines are good for creativity. Certain medicines aren't like I've seen people in an ayahuasca ceremony with a notebook writing down things in the ceremony. Yeah. And I'm like, like drawing I'm like whatever's coming through right now. It's like this isn't the time like there's a time to receive and there's a time to 
express. And plant medicine, it's such a deep and profound experience that you can take ideas out of it, but it wouldn't be really a time for creativity in my point of view. Now, I will say that cannabis has been a medicine that's been useful for the creation of memes. Okay. And cannabis is something that I was never really a big part of my life, especially in terms of creativity. You know, it would just be something that would just be completely relaxing and whatever. And I still would never do any quote unquote serious writing with cannabis because it's such a, it, it really does take away your focus. But for something like memes mm-hmm. where it's a little bit more, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something about memes and cannabis that for me, that does kind of correlate. And that has been a medicine that has helped me produce a number of memes. This is so, I don't know. I love knowing yeah. this. It's like just yeah. lighting my heart up for some <laughs> I just love the idea of like picturing you using this medicine. Well, I'll even say it was about a year ago and I, I just moved to Austin and I had made a few memes, but not a lot. And I was laying on my couch listening to a lecture by Terrence McKenna That's that was remixed like a electronic music beat. So it was like an album of electronic music with Terrence McKenna lectures over them. So it was really cool. And one of them was called Meme Magic. And it was Terrence McKenna talking about memes back in the 80s or 90s. And he was saying how we need to make memes to change people's ideas and change their minds. And he wasn't talking about internet memes. He was talking about just planting ideas culturally, planting the seed of ideas and edible. And I feel like I had gotten some kind of a transmission from Terrence McKenna and I started making memes right then and there. And I pretty much never stopped. This is brilliant. I just slobbered a little bit when I said that. <laughs> so I have to credit Terrence McKenna Great. for <laughs> this is, allowing me to yeah, explore this territory. Terrence and an edible and you at home and all of a sudden this little combustion of magic was born. Mm, mm. That's cool. I'm so glad that you shared that. You know, I love little mystical, magical, unexpected moments like that can birth an entire path, a book. Absolutely. So much. You never know what's coming. Yeah, so true. So let's get into the book. I went through it um, when I flew to Indiana a while ago. I used this as my plain reading material. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do this cover to cover and take note of some of the pages and passages that just lit me up the most. So we'll go through some of these. And if you're open to it, I don't know that on some of these, I actually have a question. I just kind of want to read it. And then you just tell me whatever's coming up to you. That's cool. Uh, let's see. Where do we want to start? Oh, okay. Let's start on page. Okay. Actually, I'm not going to tell you because then you might know beforehand what I'm going to say. It's the Dr. Seuss quote. And I know that this isn't your writing, but let's just start here. This is a quote from Dr. Seuss. You can get help from teachers, but you are going to have to learn a lot by yourself sitting alone in a room. Why did you feel it was important? And then do you call this, is this a meme or a poem? That's a poem. That's a poem. Yeah. So the poem is titled In My Room. And so your writing comes after that. But I just noted that of the importance of, yeah, being by yourself and sitting in that type of space, why did you want to devote a poem to this? Yeah, I'm a little bit of an introvert. So that poem called In My Room, it's kind of based on like all the magic that can happen when you're alone in your room. And I guess it's a little bit of, of an homage to other introverts in a way. But I just think that there's so much wisdom that happens when you slow down. And I often think that wisdom isn't something that you gain or achieve. It's what is naturally there when you strip away all the distractions that daily life brings. 
So if you're always hustle and bustle and with people and never just give yourself time to be alone and reflect and be at one with yourself, I think you're just missing out on a huge opportunity for self-discovery, for reflection. So yeah, you can learn a lot from teachers, but in my experience, there's a lot of like inner work that requires solitude and just silence. Yes, I concur. And I can definitely honestly say that in my own path of infinite exploration, and expansion of myself and whatever else beyond me. Yeah, just sitting alone (laughs) has been my greatest teacher. And I'm so glad that my personal hero's journey and spiritual path was built from that place. Um, You know, I had my awakening in Brooklyn and that was during a time where I was living alone and this little cave of a studio in Cobble Hill and was celibate and by myself. And wow, I'm so glad that I learned from that place. And that's how I learned to cultivate a trust in myself and how to recognize the whispers of the wind and the calls of the divine. And uh, yeah, so I really agree. Solitude can be a portal. Ooh, aho. Amen to that. So I want to go to this one next because it was another example of how you're you're tuned in to just like the collective and the divine timing of things because you just posted the other day. It was uh, something on your Instagram the one about the being, like the human, it was a simple one of like... Yeah, the, yesterday. Yeah. There's a woman laying on a couch and she's just like not moving. And it just says, just let me lay here. I'm a human being, not a human doing. And I love that one because that's totally been the state and why I took two months off. But, you know, I haven't posted for a couple of months on... I've done some stories here and there, but haven't actually posted on Instagram in a couple of months. Didn't put out any Ceremony Circle interviews because I just needed to be and give myself permission mission and like let myself unlearn and relearn and learn like what does that feel like and what does that look like if I'm just really letting myself just be and quit being a human doing and so of course another example of just that resonant timing I'm like amen you know and I was like yes like that's it and so on page 20 it kind of speaks to that in your book what if there was no finish line no standards of perfection no urgent goals to achieve no No competition to measure yourself against, nowhere to go, nothing to be, only your own glowing soul gently traversing an endless expanse and harmony with it all. Mm. Yeah. You know, we're both recovering New Yorkers. (laughs) When I see clips of like little video clips of like the city scene of New York, I get like PTSD. I'm not kidding. No, I know. I have not been back since I left. Me either. And don't really have interest to. I mean, I'm sure I will eventually. But no, I think that I've gone through a lot of changes since leaving the hustle and bustle of the advertising industry in New York, which is a very demanding kind of place to be. And a piece of writing like that is just shows what I've been learning about about life not being a competition, not being a race, but how you can just be and what can come from that state of being when you're not trying to do, 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 do and compare yourself to others. It's such a relief when you (laughs) kind of reach that conclusion. Mm, Totally. And yeah, I guess keeping with this theme of just being at one with the great mystery, On page 26, it's the poem titled A Good Host. And I love it. It's kind of long. I mean, it's not really long, but is it okay if I read it? It's so nice. A good host. When the winds of change come knocking on your door, as they do to every door sooner or later, 
Don't turn off the lights or hide behind the curtains. Try to be a good host. Open the door, force a smile, and invite them inside for a cup of coffee. Don't say much, just listen. Those winds have been around the block many times before and have some fascinating stories to tell. And when the coffee is finished and those same winds drag you away, blindfolded into the unmarked van parked outside, don't scream for help or try to run away. Just go. They will take you to the next place you need to be, whether you like it or not. Yeah. It's kind of the inevitability of change and not being afraid of uncertainty, but accepting it. Yeah. And it also sparks up a little bit inside of me of especially like deep transformation, initiation or change can, doesn't always equate to it, but can bring up some uncomfortability. And it's like, how are you going to be in relationship to, with that discomfort of that growth of that expansion. When the van, when you see that unmarked van parked outside that represents that portal collapsing of an old paradigm and a birthing of a new world for you, like, is there going to be great resistance and like flailing and screaming? Or can you find a way to tap into some form of surrender and trust and flow? And even if these changes are unexpected or uncomfortable, can you trust? Exactly. And that was a bit of foreshadowing because that's one of the few poems in there that was written pre-pandemic. So that was 2019. Mm. Oh, that's and interesting. My life was going through some massive kind of deaths and changes, and that was me kind of accepting them. And little did I know that poem would be so relevant to the time we live in now, where everything's changing so quickly, and we can resist that change or find a way to find meaning and go along with that change to see where it can lead us. Mm-hmm. I saw this, I think, more than once in the book. It was these themes of softness and gentleness. And I wondered why you felt that so important to touch on, because it really speaks to me. Mm-hmm. But why is it important to you to tap into mm-hmm. those themes? Yeah, I think one of the things it says in there is, may you be strong enough to be gentle. And again, I think that's a bit of the recovering New Yorker in me, where even when I was living in New York and working in advertising and so much of what we consider strength in our society, is based on these kind of old world masculine traits like force and strength and how much you can conquer your competition. And also stay exactly where you're at. But it also brings up to me, I asked Luke the other day, I was like, when did this concept of like working every day and the nine to five and getting in a car and reporting to a place and reporting to an upper hand in the company and like this way, quote unquote, of living that we're so accustomed to, because I get like these flashbacks visions of like, you know, other lifetimes or whatever it is where it was just the only task for the day was to just commune with the land or go and gather berries and like sit around the fire with your ancestors and speak your prayers to great spirit and the way of living and other times is so different than now. And so it just brings that up. And his answer was, I think, something around like the Industrial Revolution. And I don't know, he had some smart explanation for it that seemed to make sense. But yeah. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, capitalism is an entire conversation. And I think that we've seen the capitalistic structure in the Western world become increasingly 
kind of co-opted and corrupt over several decades where now it's all about productivity and go, go, go. And if you aren't working, you're losing ground to someone who is. Mm-hmm. And we and I think that's called internalized capitalism, mm. where the values of the economic system have been internalized into our own sense of self-worth. So I'm just trying, as I extract myself from that pace and that system, I'm just trying to reflect those lessons back where it's like, you know what, actually being gentle is a form of strength. Mm. You know, being a good listener and being compassionate, those are true strength. Yes, I love it. And yeah, I'm in a similar place of really redefining a lot for my own personal life. And yeah, when my grandmother passed away, I saw on her death certificate, her occupation was homemaker. And I Mm. thought, wow. Love that. We need more professional homemakers, professional mothers, professional fathers, professional caregivers. These are valuable roles in society. I mean, that was such medicine. Mm. Like my grandma and I were close her entire life and she was almost 98 when she transitioned to the other realm. So she lived a very long life. Like I said, we were very close and we were able to drop in and have some very deep of substance conversations throughout the years. And it's been so beautiful for me to witness literally from the instant that she transitioned over these additional really potent medicines and insights and awarenesses I was able to gain the second she went to the other realms. I guess that was the time that it was all supposed to click in for me. I realized I got my shamanic heart from her and like Mm. some really massive things, but seeing that title of homemaker was potent medicine for me. And it literally lit this instantaneous fire inside of me where I thought I'm going to bring back the popularity and like power of owning being a homemaker. Love it. That's like something that you'd be at a cocktail party and you'd make up something because you didn't want to say I'm a homemaker. Like shame around yeah, it. Yeah, bring it back. There should be pride around that. I, I want to bring it back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's do one or two more before we get to the closing ceremony, if that's cool with you. There's so much. I love the whole book, like cover to cover, but there are so many different... Oh yeah, let's go here. Let's get a little gritty for a second. <laughs> let's get to some grit. Ooh, so good. And where can people find this book, by the way? Yeah, go to my Instagram, the link in my bio at Words Are Vibrations. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it directly from my publisher through the link in my bio on Instagram too. Cool. So this one is the one titled, We Are the Universe Learning to Love Itself. And it's a longer one, so I'm just going to share this one paragraph, mm-hmm. but I was dying when I read this. All this idea behind this poem is to almost explain, to look at our society today from the perspective of a future generation. Mm. We often think that we have things, oh, this generation, like we're so smart, we have everything figured out. So I almost wanted to extract the perspective on the world we live in today from now and almost like explaining ourselves to the future. Yes. Okay. So I know this, I'm disjoining this poem because I'm going to read two random paragraphs from many, but these are the two that, I don't know, just like evoked something. This paragraph says, "Our okay, I got to get myself prepared. I am about to laugh because it's just, it's so good. Our sacred ceremonies were cigarette circles outside bars, four whiskeys deep. Our love was the secrets we kept hidden while sharing our fears with anyone who would listen. I mean, 
it leaves me so gobsmacked. It, it's so real and raw and gritty and feels really true. I mean, you know, as this is titled Ceremony Circle, and I believe all of life is truly a ceremony, but when I reflect on all the different forms of potential rituals and ceremony circles that one can have and how they were done in ancient times, and yet somehow we have, quote unquote, evolved to the place now where the majority of the circles being had are cigarette circles outside of bars for whiskeys deep. That hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. It's like we need rituals and ceremonies. So if we don't do them consciously, we'll find unconscious ways to express that need. You know, before when I had a different lifestyle, being outside of a bar, somewhat drunk, smoking cigarettes with friends and strangers, that's a bit of a unconscious ceremony that forms and you create bonds and there's maybe a little bit of love in that moment, but ultimately it's very unfulfilling compared to what our spirit yearns for. People are very quick to express their fears to others or very, you know, whether it's through gossip or through just complaining, we're quick to express our fears and we're slow to express our loves to each other. Do you have an idea as to why that is? Just vulnerability? Or? Yeah, I think it's vulnerable to say I love you or to open your heart to someone. It's easy to complain or to express fear. So it's, it's just, again, it, that's the strength in being gentle. The strength in being soft is that the strength to open up your heart and to express love in a society that doesn't nurture that. Mm. And another passageway from this the same poem says energy leaked from our souls like a broken faucet feeding vampires and parasites instead of our higher purpose and what you were just sharing just kind of brought me to that one as well mm -hmm. so good yeah our energy is leaky in a way we give it away through so many different ways but just learning to cultivate our energy and to project it towards positive things and art and love mm -hmm. instead of giving it away through work and anger and all these ways that we give our own power away every single day. Yeah. All right. So if it's up to you, like whenever it's your time to transition to the other realms and if it's up to you and you have a decision, are you going to come back to earth again? <laughs> There's jokes in the book where I'm not coming back. There's, I think there's a page in there that says like, to whom it may concern, yeah. I will not be incarnated on earth again. Thank you. Yeah. Or are you undecided? This isn't so bad. I mean, there's the whole, you know, that's the whole idea of the Bodhisattva, right? Is that you keep coming back for the benefit of others. And I think that if we look at eternity, a lifetime on earth is pretty quick to blip on the radar. So I think of one metaphor I have for life on earth. It's our soul is choosing to watch this movie and movies are good when they're dramatic. Movies are good when there is some action and there's some suspense and you don't quite know if the hero is going to make it. That's what makes a movie good. Is you're on the edge of your seat. Well, we're kind of all on the edge of our seats now. It's not comfortable, but we'll see where it goes. And this is a movie that we bought a ticket for. So let's enjoy it. And we'll see what coming attractions are on the horizon. I laugh all the time because I have visions of myself before I decided to incarnate, especially with a soul assignment this lifetime. And I like see me and others like, I'm ready to go another round. You know, I'm ready to incarnate. Like my soul's ready to evolve in this way. And like super pumped up there in the ethers. And then we pop down here and remember, what it feels like to feel density in bodies and like, I don't want to label them as constrictions, but you know, just a different form of being. And then it's like, oof, oh, wow, whoa, the earthly emotions. Oh, this whole spectrum thing. Like, oh God, that was a doozy of a 
lesson and I, I chuckle quite a bit about the things that I picked to experience this lifetime. I'm like, damn, I really chose a doozy of a one uh, this go around. But I had my hand up and yeah. I was ready to go. And you know, the body is an amazing vessel. Mm-hmm. And these hands, you know, posable thumbs, <laughs> fingers, yeah. you can really do a lot with this. Yes. You can make art. You can make a statue. You can give someone a massage. Yeah, you can touch. Yeah, loved one. I was just thinking that. It's a magical vessel that you can really be creative and do a lot with. Like a magician. Totally. So when you're a spirit, you know, I don't know what that feels like or looks like, but we don't have the same abilities and same tools that we do with a body. Mm-hmm. So it's fun to use this vessel while we have it and to see what we can do with it. Yeah, that's great. That's a perfect note to end on. So yeah, James is going to guide us. And you all know that at the end of every episode, we close the ceremony with some sort of offering or sharing and we'll let him take it away. Is there anything that you want them to do to be ready to receive this offering? I'm going to do a reading. So just relax, just be comfortable. It's not super long, but it can be a little bit of a story. So sit down and be comfortable. But a lot of the book deals with somewhat apocalyptic themes and not apocalyptic in the sense of dystopia or despair, but that that moment of transition or transformation or what apocalypse means is the unveiling. So looking at an apocalypse through the lens of perspective of transformation. So this is actually a poem that I wrote after finishing the book. So it's not in the book, but I feel it's a footnote. It's the after the apocalypse. Cool. Then what? Oh. Oh, okay. okay. So there's two poems here, and the second one is very short, but I'm going to start with the first one, and it's called Behold a Sunflower. What happened to all the flowers? I asked. It had been weeks since the electricity went out. My iPhone battery died while we were listening to a John Coltrane saxophone solo, and we hadn't heard any music since until we started making our own. The flowers are hiding, you said, waiting to make sure the monsters are finally gone. The earth was scorched with burning debris. Other than the strongest trees, the foliage was gone. But tiny plants were sprouting again, and the thick cloud of black smoke that had lingered in the sky for months was finally dissolving as the sun made its grand return, alive and unfazed. Who we had been before, I don't even remember. It feels like characters we were playing, and now the movie is over. Was it a tragedy or comedy? We're still not sure. Probably both. At least we know our neighbors now. We didn't have a choice, those who survived, other than to come together. All prejudice was shattered, and we finally saw the soul of God shining through the human disguise. Resources were scarce at first. The old supply chains had disconnected us from sovereign modes of survival. Now we were local again, and had to relearn what it meant to be part of a community. We taught each other and learned from each other and shared stories and secrets while tending to our damaged soil and hearts. All things die, you kept saying, so new things can be born. It's a natural cycle. If it's natural, why is it so painful, I asked. Labor pains, you said. The next morning, I woke up early and crushed beans for coffee. I boiled the grounds, sipped it black, and wandered into a barren field to greet the dawn. And behold, rooted in the wounded earth, a single sunflower stood proudly, yellow petals glowing like the wide eyes of a new mother. 
In this analogy, I suppose I am the child. And we stood together in the open field, me still crying from the birth, her smile warming my face, each unsure how we arrived, but grateful to have come. And this next piece is called A New Earth. When the parasites have been removed and the oceans have been cleaned and the virus of fear of each other and ourselves has been blessed and transmuted by the great Amazonian grandmothers and we have shed the dead skin of history and the hyper-rational disembodied laws have been replaced by the organic regenerative decrees of nature and we finally embraced our own magic and divinity and made peace with Father Death and there's not an ounce of judgment left because we understand that judgment of another is judgment of the self. And every McDonald's has been turned into a garden and every shopping mall converted into a place of worship. And we celebrate each spring equinox by electing a single yellow daisy as president of the world <laughs> in a symbolic gesture of gentleness and the futility of control. Mm. Then we shall wake up in the dewy grass of the new dawn and see our own reflections in the faces of each other and in the sunlight above. I don't even want to add words to it other than, wow, what a gift you've been given, truly. Like those were two of the most incredible poems I've ever heard, honestly saying that. I don't want to put words to it because I don't have words for it. I will just say that I'm all for the daisies for president. <laughs> they will absolutely be getting my vote. If there's anything I can do to make sure they're up for election. I will do so. You're on the committee. I am on the committee, the Yellow Daisy for President Committee. Wow. You're really tapped into some. Thank you. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talk about the apocalypse and I just want to plant seeds. Yeah. You know, before we can start building the new world and the new earth, it's like we need to plant seeds to start imagining it. So I just wanted to plant little seeds into people's imagination to imagine what the world after all of this could be. So much potent medicine in those poems. And if you feel called, the soul fam sitting here with us today, if it speaks to you at all, if like later today or tomorrow or next month, like this episode just comes back into your mind, go back and just sit and be with those readings because I feel like you will get different transmissions and feelings and awarenesses every time you hear them again and again. Yeah, I feel like it's two poems that can infinitely expand mm. someone every time they sit with them. Mm. This is such a perfect way mm. to close today's ceremony circle. James, thank you. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun to chat and to be with you. And I really appreciate you having me on. What a mystical ride. Thank you, Soul Fam, for co-creating with us. I'll put links to where you can find James. And he shared in the episode where you can get the book, How to Laugh and Ironic Amusement During Your Existential Crisis. It even makes me laugh as I read it. So grateful for all of you, and we will sit with you again next time. Woo! What a beautiful, powerful voyage that was. It truly 
brings me so much joy and activates and lights me up to be able to sit with these incredible teachers, leaders, and masters from all over the world. So to learn more about them, just head to my website where all of the show notes and their details are listed. That's alisoncharles.com, A-L-Y-S-O-N-C-H-A-R-L-E-S.com. And remember, what makes Ceremony Circle Podcast so unique is that at the end of every single episode, you're able to immerse in a potent guided ritual practice or ceremony for your empowerment. So please feel free to make note of the practices that you really resonate with, the ones that really light up your soul and come back to those episodes anytime, any day. You can use them as your daily practices. And I recommend starting your day with one of them at your altar space. Ah, it's been an honor voyaging with you today. And I would so truly appreciate if you'd open your heart to take a quick few seconds to drop a review on Apple, sharing what you love most or appreciate most about Ceremony Circle Podcast. Receiving those reviews is so helpful and allows us to continue to share this valuable content. And don't forget, if you haven't already gotten your copy of my new best-selling book, Animal Power, you can do so anywhere books are sold, or I most recommend going to my website. Again, that's allisoncharles.com backslash animal power, because when you purchase for you and your friends there, you get a free video guided shamanic journey to meet your current power animal that I facilitate. Animal Power Book is a modern day compendium featuring 100 different power animals, what each animal represents, their wisdom messages for you, guided practices, and stories from all over the world. I personally put the book up to my heart each morning at my altar, and I ask which animal most wants to work with me that day. And then I simply close my eyes and flip the book open to the page I'm guided. And let me tell you, I have been deeply moved to tears on many occasions, and I can't wait for you to experience it as well. I worked on this book for many, many years, and it's now my greatest honor to have it available for you. So anytime animals reveal themselves for you, you can just head to Animal Power Book and see what that animal is trying to get your attention for. All right, Soul Fam, let's unite again in our next episode coming out next week so we can sit together and continue to activate greater consciousness energies for everyone. Much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.